Hi everyone, this is Josh Reynolds. Uh, I'm a campus pastor at Christian Student Fellowship, and uh, I'm doing an Encounter Reboot podcast. Last night uh, we had some technical difficulties, and so I uh, got my sermon loaded up here, and I just wanted to work through that with you. Um, and so yeah, it was a really, really good night, and that newness is so great for me. Uh, at this point in my life, I'm a hobbled, shaved, salad-eating 38-year-old, which is uh, man, just I, for real, y'all. I'm two clicks from a seeing eye dog and one prescription from an emotional needs dog. But this summer, oh man, I had a mustache. A glorious, glorious mustache for a wedding that the bride did not know about. Oh my goodness, what good times. I used that illustration and a picture of that glorious stash for a reminder to our students that CSF will become exactly what you make it. See, that mustache and that glory was for a former student's wedding, uh, someone who transitioned through the ministry as a student into a leader, from a leader into uh, more of a mentee and a true disciple of mine into what I now consider just a great friend. Um, And not only does CSF become what you make it, but we also give students the opportunity to not make CSF their home ministry. Now, I know that's kind of wacky. No one expects to hear the pastor stand up and say, you don't have to find your home here. Uh, But what I do is I implored our students, uh, I challenged them to find a a ministry where they could know people at deep, deepening and intimate levels and to be vulnerable enough for to allow themselves to be known at deepening, intimate, vulnerable levels. Uh, I also challenge them to find a church home. Um, Campus ministry, uh, we make sure that ours and and most of the campus ministries here at IU, they are through the week. They're not on Sunday mornings. Um, And we do that intentionally because we want our students to not only uh, deepen in discipleship with us and their peers and find their leadership voice, but we also want them to engage at a local church and we want them to learn well uh, how to serve the local church because we don't get to keep these kids, especially in a town that doubles every August. Man, it is easy to feel like you don't belong or you're left out or you're a misfit. The danger, and I told our room this last night, the danger is looking at others who seem so confident and so sure of himself that we will join any club or any party or join any scene that will have us. See, the one thing that all clubs and parties and scenes have in common is the principle of exclusion. Identity and worth achieved by excluding everyone but the chosen There's a terrible reward for keeping other people out, and it's the savory sweetness of knowing, being confident, being sure that you are in. Nowhere has this price been more terrible than in the cause of religion. And so at CSF, we make sure to remind our students that we are a ministry and that we are a sent ministry looking for intentional communities, places where we are to take the influence of King Jesus and be in in parties, in clubs, in scenes with purpose. 
Because when we read the Bible for ourselves, CSF, I promise, will not reduce the huge mysteries of God to rules to know who's in and out. We will spend verse by verse teaching time through books of the Bible in order to hear God's heart. Because with God, there are no outsiders. And even more specifically, we watch Jesus consistently elevate and include the outsiders in his context. Men and women, common laborers, slaves, enemies, the racially different. I mean, we're going to see the Samaritans later in this sermon. And the poor. As you join CSF or as you listen along with us, we desire to find the heart of God and emulate it within our context. So to anyone who is listening that has been on the outside looking in, we hope that you join and find a ministry with the doors wide open because this ministry and the people in it have already been found and welcomed by God. And we want to find you and welcome you to CSF. The story of Jesus is what's going to always center us. He is impressive, like super dupe impressive. You know Colossians chapter 1 maybe. Verse 19 says, In Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Just sit with that for a second. In John 14, he says, If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Like Jesus is impressive. And the danger is that you're only going to be impressed with Jesus. The reason we chose the book of Acts is because Luke's stated overt purpose is to prevent fanboys and to produce action. Luke continues the story of the Old Testament's prophets. He continues it through the New Testament life of Jesus. And then he now he will tell the story of the apostles and the disciples living out all they have known and grown alongside Jesus into the next generation. As I was studying the book of Acts this year, the most impressive thing to me was that the supernatural work does not stop with Jesus. The book of Acts continues to be essentially the same as Jesus' stories. We see the same uh, mirrored miracles uh, minus Jesus' resurrection. The story of Jesus, guys, does not end with Jesus. The story of Jesus continues in the lives of those who believe in him. And so here's what Acts chapter 1, verse 1 sounds like. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now this was the moment where I gave a slight nod to my friend Brogan because we know that when 40 shows up in the Bible, that represents a period of testing. When After Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness for how long? 40 days. And at that point, he was tested. The Israelites made laps never more than 17 miles from the promised land, but they took that 17-year lap, or they took that 17-mile lap for 40 years out in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy tells us, do you know why I led you in the desert? Ask the Lord to humble you and to test you. Just know 
your hearts. 40 always represents testing. And so here's the question, verse 3 from the book of Acts. Convincing proofs. What if 40 days was a period of testing to see and to know that Jesus truly was alive? It's a question for you. What convincing proofs would you need to know that Jesus is alive? Verse 4 continues, On one occasion, while he was eating with them. So there's a, a convincing proof. He gave a command. There's another convincing proof. He sounds like Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. There's another convincing proof. He's referring back to teachings that the disciples only had had in John 16. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, last year we read about the life of Jesus and taught verse by verse through a book called Mark. We met a prophet in Mark chapter 1 named Johnny Bapt. And so Mark 1 verse 4 says this, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, what this means is John the Baptist was a rock star or a freak show, depending on your view. Verse 6 kept going. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Turns out he was a rapper too. After me comes one more powerful than I, Sandals of whom I'm not worthy to untie. Hey, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you haven't thought about baptism like this. Uh, maybe you have um, a, of a Christian understanding of baptism. <laughs> but, but in context, baptism is fundamentally about choosing sides. Does baptism take away sin? If it does then did Jesus need to be baptized because he was sinful? Now, if you read the whole story of Scripture, the answer to these is no. <clears throat> because that would even be weird uh, whenever John the Baptist would hold Jesus in the water and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, yourself, and the Holy Spirit. No, baptism is a public statement. It's, a, it's an exclamation point that you can watch me and watch my life. I'm committing to the kingdom of God. I'm committing to bringing the kingdom of God about in the world around me. I'm fulfilling the rightness of the kingdom. I'm fulfilling God's purposes. Again and again, baptism is fundamentally about choosing sides. And so that's what Johnny Bapp was doing. He was calling people to repent and to commit to living the rightness of the kingdom. In fact, when Jesus steps into the water, John says, you should baptize me. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness, to call the righteousness of the kingdom of God into the earth and to say, you can watch me. I'm choosing sides. In Acts chapter one, we have the impending fulfillment of the promise of John the Baptist. Jesus himself 
has promised the Holy Spirit already in John 16. And the piece I love is that the Holy Spirit has been God's promise all through the Old Testament. In Joel 2 and Isaiah 32 and Isaiah 35 and 43 and Ezekiel 36 and 11 and 37 and 39, again and again and again, we know the Holy Spirit has been the intention of God in making the world restored, in redeeming the world to himself, he will give his spirit. So this is a three-peat promise now from God, from John the Baptist, and from Jesus that will be fulfilled in a few days. And so they have to wait. But here's the thing I love about the disciples. I don't want to grind on these boys. I want to commend them. Verse 6, they gather around Jesus and the disciples ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now normally, we, we would poo-poo and we'd say, ah, oh, the disciples are always messing up. But no, I think what's happening here is the Old Testament clarity that the disciples have and the, the clarity teaching of John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and saying, there he is, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. The clarity teaching of Jesus that after I leave, I will send the guide, the Spirit who will help you. The Spirit himself will only say the things that I tell him to say, and I only say the things I hear the Father say to me. I think the disciples are doing theological math. I think they're asking not an eschatological, not an end-time prophecy, but a political promise that they understand God to have been making all through their history. And Jesus says in 7, I think kindly, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. The disciples are connecting the Old Testament passages. They're connecting the prophecy of Johnny Bapp. And guys, they have the clarity of 40 days convincing, testing proofs that Jesus himself was alive. And so, of course, this would mean the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And that is the piece that they missed. You see, the disciples' hope is still in a religious group. They're still dreaming of Israel's liberation from the yoke of Rome. The exercise of power, y'all, is inherent in the concept of the kingdom, but power in God's kingdom is totally different than the colonial power of an oppressive political and military force. Here's why we're choosing the book of Acts. We're going to watch power come alive. Inherent in kingdoms is power, but the power is going to be spread by witnesses, not soldiers. It is going to be pronounced but with peace, not declarations of war. Through Acts, we're going to watch power come alive by the work of the Spirit, not a force of arms, not revolutionary violence. And kingdom power is going to collide again and again and again with normal world powers. And you will be my witnesses, says Jesus in verse 8, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wait for it. 
Man, that had to be killer. That had to be killer. Wait for it. You see, Jerusalem is the city where where God's presence, his temple, was to be known and met and housed and 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 where the disciples themselves, the most holy place for the Jewish people. Judea, we've already seen Judea show up in Mark chapter 1. Uh, people came from the Judean countryside and Jerusalem, like these two places. So they came from the presence of God, and then the people of God came. That would be the tribes of Judah. It's the, it's the southern two kingdoms. You can find the story uh, on, the, on the division of the people of Israel from the northern tribes, Israel, and the southern tribes, Judah. In 1 Kings chapter 12, the northern tribes, Israel, they turned into Samaritans. God began to, or they began to take on names like the Samaritans by the time the New Testament comes because they were not God's people by this point in history. What had happened was as the northern kingdoms set up their own cities and places where they thought God would meet them, they also intermarried with the pagan people in the land. And so their following of the commandments of God as a nation began to become defiled. And whenever Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Samaria, he was talking specifically about outsiders. This scares, this scares the disciples. These are biracial, bi-religious, and pagan outsiders. And guys, here is the most beautiful piece, I think, of this storyline. Samaria is truly the inauguration of the kingdom message. Because this is the place that doesn't know and that has turned overtly away from following Yahweh and the rules of his and the rules of being his people. And so what Jesus says is, you will go there as witness, with pronouncements of peace, under the power of my spirit. And it's going all the way to the ends of the earth. Last night, what we did at this ends of the earth chunk was I brought up a student who lives at the campus house here at Christian Student Fellowship. She has just come off a gap year working with Youth With a Mission. You might know them better by their acronym, YWAM. Over her gap year, Grace, Grace learned the story of God and learned to tell her own testimony uh, and the way that God works in her life through their discipleship, discipleship training school, or DTS. She was home-based in Norway for the year and then would take trips spreading the gospel and the news of Jesus, the clarity of God's story and how it's changed her life. She spent time in the Hindu regions of Nepal. She took into the Buddhist kingdoms of Thailand. She went into Ethiopia uh, and then she also got to spend time in Israel. This was a really exciting moment last night in our, in our worship setting. Uh, it's one of the things that I'm looking forward to most as we build these podcasts and as we do our Facebook Live is having students whose lives are showing the active power of the Spirit of God. So that way, you don't always have to hear me tell you about it. Here's the way that Acts 
chapter 1, the first chunk closes down. After Jesus said, you will be my disciples, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Verse 10, the disciples were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This was the moment that I looked at our our room, 150 strong, with about 25 to 30 brand new students for the first time testing out CSF. I looked at them and just with gentleness uh, and some compassion, I said, I think God is talking to us as I read this little chunk. We're always going to read Acts within the frame of the Spirit at work and active in our world today. At the same time, I want to read it within the frame of the Old Testament calling the kingdom to come take over the whole earth. And we have a job if we call ourselves disciples. We have a job with our life, within our community, within the campus here uh, at Indiana University. And whoever's listening to this, you have a calling on your life if you call yourself a disciple. And it is to cultivate your inward life, cultivate your awareness of the kingdom around you until Jesus comes again to be a witness and now to cultivate with compassion the kingdom that is already at work all around you, to practice your witness, uh, to practice showing up, and to practice speaking hope within this power of the Holy Spirit. So join us this year at CSF as we uncover more, as we deepen, as we build the kingdom of God here in Bloomington and wherever you find yourself. Thanks for checking in. Have a great day.